This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I am ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Your best shout ever. All right, stay standing for the reading of the word. Amen. Acts chapter 3. If I can find it. Somebody moved my bookmark. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus who you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you, Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets, and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. 
When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Amen. 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 The word of God. It's always great, isn't it? So much in that passage. So let's pray, and then you all can sit, and we'll get started. Father, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for um, just a beautiful gathering of your people. Lord, how thankful we are that we can come together each week and celebrate who you are, celebrate our stories together, celebrate the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that our hearts are ready, that we're leaned in, that we're eager today um, to, to have the word of God grafted into good grounds in our heart soil. God, we decree that we will be people who hear, people who receive, and people who do the word of God and the work of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So well, you can go ahead and have a seat. Mark sends his love. He is in Austin, Texas um, this morning. So be praying for him. He had a leadership event um, and then is speaking. So first of all, I was not here last week, so I'm not sure how much um, thanks went out from my husband for the conference workers and volunteers and leaders and everyone. But I just want to, yes, please just clap. I mean, like, we could clap forever. So many people I would love to thank by name, and um, I just would forget someone, and I would hate to do that. But, I mean, you all stepped up and showed out. Not only did Jesus come and show out, um, I asked someone this morning in the foyer, they were just telling me how much they, they liked the conference and enjoyed it. And I said, well, good. I said, have you been to a women's conference before? She said, honey, I've been to conferences, but I've never been to anything like that. So I don't know if that was good or if that was... <laughs> didn't quite know how to take it. I thought it was good, though. I thought that Jesus not only showed out, but you all did an outstanding job serving the house. Um, so thank you. Definitely, definitely appreciate it um, so much. Many of you donated time, money, finances, so can't thank you enough. So, All right, so Mark wanted me to stay in the book of Acts. He wanted me to stay on track for you all. So looking at Acts 3, there were like a million things. Didn't you all think that was a rich chapter? Just so much. That, that was in it. Um, so, but I, I picked a spot that I want to land on, and we're going to talk about expectations this morning. Expectations, what we expect when we gather together. So those of you who know me or who follow any, any of our family's events and traveling know that when I travel, I am 100% all in. So I'm expecting everything from every event to every time I go anywhere. Remember the Disney chart that was large and colorful and had every detail filled out to the max every hour of the day? I'm the mom who drags my kids just on and on and on and on and on wherever I go. So last year, actually in April, Stella and I and Ingrid and Kayla made our way to San Diego, California. And um, San Diego is just beautiful. California is beautiful anyway, even though we know, like, there's some crazy people out there. Um, but gorgeous. So just the landscape is beautiful. The weather is beautiful. There's never been a time that I've been there that I just didn't think it was great. And so I'm really not an animal person. Um, well, I, They'll, they'll argue with me. Really not a huge, like, zoo person is what I should say. But everybody knows San Diego and the San Diego Zoo. So that's where we were headed um, for the day. We had a gymnastics competition, so we had a pretty tight schedule that we had to keep, but we were going to squeeze in the zoo um, at San Diego. So in, um, it's 
like America's most finest, most famous, most popular zoo and destination to go to. And so we were there, and I had such high hopes that I was just going to enjoy everything at the zoo. Um, and our first, the, the, the first little spot that we came to when we got there were the elephant um, just the elephant campgrounds, whatever you want to call it. And it was, by all accounts, amazing. Like the trees in the San Diego Zoo for the elephants to enjoy are cement. So it's, it's like this mechanical campground. It's like this huge tech place um, of mechanical trees, like fake limbs, um, food that, that comes down in like an elevator shaft on the tree so that the elephant walks up to the tree. And I guess they've, they've been there so long they think that they're actually trees, the elephants do. So um, the whole thing was just astounding to watch. It was just like, this is just amazing. So three hours later, we're still watching elephants. I'm like, I'm like, what are we doing? Stella and um, Stella and Kayla are quite, quite uh, talkative. They're gregarious. If you've ever been around them, they're not scared to talk to adults. So as we continue to meander through the elephant uh, land, we came to a spot that had huge um, water hoses and um, this great big cage that the elephants could come in and they could actually stick their foot through like that. So their foot was actually sticking through a little gate with big hoses and um, every day all of the elephants in, in the elephant land um, received a pedicure. So Stella and Kayla were all about this elephant pedicure. And I'm not kidding you. We were the last ones to leave. Like when all the zookeepers came out, they're talking to them. They're asking questions. Stella and Kayla know every elephant's name. They know all the dimensions of the elephant. They know how much weight one foot of an elephant can carry. They know why they have to have their toenails trimmed. We're watching an elephant's toenail get trimmed and scrubbed. And just three hours worth of being at an elephant pedicure is where I was. So we leave there because we got there at 10. So by now it's one. And of course the girls are hungry. And so we're like, okay, let's go eat. So this zoo is huge. It's, it's just huge. We're unfamiliar with it. We don't know where it is. We don't know anything about it. So it takes us probably 45 minutes to find a place to eat that both the girls could agree upon. And when we got there, they were out of the item that Stella and Kayla had wanted that they saw on the map that, that they wanted to eat. So 45 minutes to get there. We get there, and they don't want to eat that. So we're back to a map, traipsing around. What do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? By the time we ate, it was like 2.30. So we've seen an elephant pedicure, and we have walked and meandered to lunch. As we're passing lunch, we see a sign that says baby panda. So, of course, the girls want to see the baby panda. Two-hour line. So we're in line, and it's one of those lines that when you get in it, you're kind of trapped, like you can't see the, the end and the beginning where you started is way too far to, to get out, and so you're just stuck. You're in this, this place. And so by the time we got out of that, by the time we ate lunch, by the time we saw the elephant pandas, I mean the, the elephant pedicure, and then the baby panda, um, it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We had to leave at 5, and the zoo closed at 6. So we had told them we'll stay as late as we can, closes at 6, we'll leave at 5. So they want the polar bear. So we trek up, 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 up the zoo, um, 
graft, so all the, the land that the zoo was laid out on, and we made it to the polar bear, and by then, we're late. It's past 5 o'clock, so it's 5.30, and the announcements are coming on, zoo closes in 30 minutes. Zoo clo- we have seen three things, <laughs> and the zoo closes in 30 minutes, and Ingrid and I are just looking at each other, and the girls are listing tons and tons and tons of animals that they want to see, and so we decided at that point to separate because we had 30 minutes to catch every other animal at the zoo. So literally, we ran our way. They split one way, we split one way, and we just ran our way through the rest of the zoo with cops coming to escort everybody out. So we're the people who the cops are standing there, lights flashing as they're telling people, that's the exit, that's the exit. And every time, Sel and I would come to a crossroad where we could look down and we could see the cops, we would go the other way. So we're running from where the cops are because Stella is after the giraffes. I'm like, Stella, I don't know where the giraffes are. I can't read a map, can't do a GPS map. Like, I'm looking, and every time we would come to a corner, cops are there escorting people to the exit. We would leave. Cops are there. So running, 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 running. Finally found the giraffes, um, came around a little bend. They were gorgeous. They were beautiful. We spent probably 20 seconds with them because cops are literally, like, screaming at us, ma'am, could you please leave? So I'm taking pictures as I can with Stella at the giraffes, and we leave. And that is my experience at the San Diego Zoo. So it was nothing that I expected. I didn't get to see anything that I wanted to see. Um, I left just feeling quite like, is that it? Like I, I have flown all the way to California. So it's an expensive flight. It's a long way. It's all the way on the other side of, of America. And that was it. That was all the experience that I got at the zoo. That, w- that was absolutely it. Um, there is a quote by C.S. Lewis. I'm going to ask them to put that on the screen. I came across this years ago when I was at ORU and then several, um, several years later, I'm doing a Bible study with women. And it's one of my favorite quotes. I'm going to read it to you. It says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And when I think about that, and I, and I thought about that story at the zoo, those girls were just so enchanted by an elephant's pedicure, by the toenail of an elephant that they missed everything that that zoo had to offer. I cannot even imagine what we missed, like really, when I think about it. I can't imagine the exhibitions. I can't imagine the other animals. I can't imagine just even maybe the plant life that that we don't have here in Georgia, just the things that, that would have been so much more meaningful than watching the toenail of an elephant get cut off. And I think about that sometimes with with the Lord, and I'm I'm looking at this scripture here at the beginning of Acts. I could not get past Acts 1, basically, Acts 3, 1 through um, 10. I, I just really could not get past the fact that there's this lame man who's laying at the temple. And the most of what he could think of is, somebody give me some money. Is there anybody here who can give me some money? Just content. I mean, he can't walk. He can't move. Do you know what it means to be lame? To be lame means to be unable to walk, unable to make progress, unable to move, crippled, impaired, 
No freedom of movement, weak and ineffective. And every day, the Bible says every day, his family would bring him and just lay him at this temple outside the front doors. So there's crowds of people. There are the disciples who are now on fire, have just gotten baptized with the Holy Ghost, have just gotten commissioned by Jesus in chapter 2 to go and and, and do miracles and and lay hands on the sick and to spread the gospel. Um, But there are things that have been going on for years. There's a tradition that has taken place um, at the temple, and that is people gathered, people prayed, people had services, and yet this lame man sits there only wanting money. Only wanting money. That's all he could fathom that that God would have for him. That's all his family could fathom that God would have for him. That's all the people inside the temple would gather that God would have for him. And I think that's so many times that's just us. That is us that we think, you know, God, I just need, you know what, if you'll just give me a raise, I will be so happy and so content with just a raise. If you'll just give me that. God, if you will just help my husband to put the lid on the toothpaste in the, the moment that he finishes and squeezes it, that he would just do all that right, that he would pick his underwear up. God, if you would just um, help my kid to make a good grade. The things that we ask sometimes of the Lord, and I think the bountiful God that he is, he is the God of the universe. He holds the sun and the moon and the stars together in his hands, and the least of things that we can ask him sometimes seems so trivial to me. They just seem so trivial, and I wonder if we've not just been like the lame man and we've just settled for so much less. I think life hits us sometimes, and before we know it, um, faith somewhere along the way gets lost. It just gets lost. Our expectation for anything more gets lost. And so I know in a room this size that there are people who are sitting here who come in every week with lame areas in their life. They come in thinking that, that I will never approach God for whatever this little sacred lame thing is that you've got because I have no expectation that it's ever going to change. We come in, in here sometimes in sexless marriages. Some of you have probably not had sex with your spouse in over a year, and, and we think it's really no big deal. I mean, like, God's really not going to change that. He's not concerned. I'm not concerned. We're just living life, just, just going through the motions. So just living. We come in here with financial difficulty week after week after week after week, living paycheck to paycheck with negative two in our bank account, and we get the little alert from Wells Fargo, and then we've got the 35 overdraft fee, and we just live like that week after week after week. And we never have faith to really think, does God want that to be any different? I mean, it's just always been how it's been. These mindsets begin to creep in in our life. We come in depressed week after week after week, and we raise our hands, and we worship, and we tithe, and we love God, and we just accept the fact that that's just life. It's just life that I'm not going to feel good today. I'm sick. Some of you have been sick for years, years after year after year after year, just sick, arthritis, headaches, migraines, um, lupus, just all of these things. And I think, have we, have we excused ourselves from really believing that he is the God who he says he is? Because it seems to me that even, you know, sometimes I think, are, are we the people in the temple too? I mean, there's a lame man sitting outside that we know is lame. 
we see him every week. We know he's lame. And, you know, Mark talks to us about our 50 feet, and I'm going to try to get there today. We'll see. We'll see how far I get. I'm going to try to get to the disciples and them owning their 50 feet, but I just couldn't get off this lame man, this lame man. And let me tell you something. Lame, the, the enemy will use his, any tactic, he will hit you with the hardest blow he can hit you with to cause you to be ineffective and immobile and not able to do and not able to breathe. Sometimes he'll hit you with a, just a gut punch that, that you could never, ever, ever see your way out. And I imagine this man has been there. He probably is no more thinking that God has anything else for him. So I'm going to prophesy to you today. Some of you need to stir yourself. Some of you need to wake up and you need to think this, this life that I'm living does not have to be my life. It does not. Let me tell you something. Some of you, your husbands have left. Maybe you're on food stamps. Maybe you are on anxiety medication. Maybe you are whatever. We can fill in the blank with whatever, whatever, whatever. The thing that this lame man did is he allowed his circumstance to become himself. He allowed it to become his identity and who he was. And so you cannot do that. When you are facing a crisis or when you're facing um, a sickness or when you're facing a, a need in your marriage, don't take the identity of that problem on and stamp it on your life, which is what he did. You all have heard Mark and I's story, and I, I wasn't even sure I was going to go here. And when we were worshiping a while ago, I thought, I'm going to go here for just a second. You've, you've heard our story, most of you have heard the fact that in 2010, our marriage fell apart. Um, we were separated. And I mean, it was like the enemy hit me with a, just literally like socked me in the stomach like I could not breathe. Have you had those things happen before where it's just like you literally can't breathe? I mean, life has been bad. I had an opportunity. I had an opportunity to take on an identity that was not gifted me by the Father in those moments. And I had to decide if I was going to take that identity on or if I was going to have any expectation that God could do anything better, bigger, or stronger than what I was facing and feeling. And so I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I locked myself in a cabin for three days. And in those three days, God spoke to me and he stirred me and he stirred me that he was a God of covenant. He was a covenant keeping God. And he was indeed who he said he was. When I left that cabin, I had decisions to make. That is when the rubber meets the road, when you're being faced with the opportunity to not have proper expectations from God. You have to shake yourself, and you have to stir yourself, and you have to actually activate your faith. So it's one thing to think it, it's one thing to hear it, it's one thing to have it preach you, but you have to activate your faith. And I can remember when we were carless, and someone gave us a car, someone not of my choosing and of my picking gave us a car to ride around. I say that because we're in a small southern town and everybody knew who this guy was and now I'm driving around in his car because he's blessing our family. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. I can handle it. So I had to walk in a small town with a debit, no, an e, what are, I don't even know what they're called now, a food stamp card. So EBT, maybe? Okay, so yeah, I had to go grocery shopping in this small town while my husband is gone, and me and my four kids walk through the grocery store with an EBD card where everybody knows me. Food stamps were not going to be my lot in life, and I had to make a decision the day that I walked in the grocery store. I can walk in like a victim, 
I can walk in like a woman who has now been labeled. I can walk in like a woman whose husband has lost his mind, whose children are hanging on by the thread of their teeth, who has zero finances, and I can embrace this and live in it, or I can say, this is a season, and I am walking out. Don't let your seasons become your identities. So many times we are letting our seasons identify who we are. And this man, I don't know why he was lame. I don't know why his family didn't stir him for more. I don't know why the people in the temple did not stir him for more. Sometimes you have to stir yourself for more. You have to stir yourself. I didn't have a husband at home to lay hands on me. I had baby children who did not know everything that had happened. They didn't know how to lay hands on me. I was the pastor at the church. So uh, all our elders were mad. They weren't laying hands on me. <laughs> so, so I had to stir myself. I had to grab hold of something more. I had to say, you know what? I'm not going to be content with anything less than the best and the most of what God has for me. Every single bit of it. And sometimes walking out of a lame situation and walking out of a place where you see no movement and no freedom and, and no progress, sometimes it takes more than just looking at somebody and saying, can you give me some money? Can you give me some money? Can you feel this little bitty need that I have right now? You have to dig deep. You have to go to deep places. You have to go to places where, where minds shift. And I believe that's what was happening in this story. When we look at Acts, God was shifting the culture. He was shifting a culture where men had only done works in a temple. And he was shifting them to there is a real, there is an alive, there is a powerful Jesus who has now come on the scene. And he has deposited into these disciples everything that, that I am so that you can have life. And we have to shift our minds. We, have to, we, we can't allow our minds to be driven by what goes on in our culture, what's around us. You know, our culture is you do you, right? You do you, you be you, anything you want to take on. And I don't mean that in, in the sinful nature of, of I'm just going to be me and, and that kind of stuff. We just, anything we want to label ourselves with, we do. And so we label ourselves with all these things that are not God. And, and we allow these problems of, of lameness to exist in us. And it's time today that we rise above that. It's time that for this house, for, for this church, that we know the calling that we have as a house. We know the things that we've been talking about. We know that we want to impact our 50 feet. We know that we want to um, have, have the fruit of, you know, we, we fight so hard in every staff meeting that we would have the fruit of the Holy Spirit's power live and evident every week in our services. And you know what that fruit is? That fruit is not Olivia worshiping or me worshiping on the front or Michael singing or Mark preaching or me preaching. Fruit is that lives are changed, that you, not us, you are making a connection with God that's stirring these lame things in your life and that they begin to fall off. They begin to drop one by one by one by one. And we, we have to decide that those are the kinds of people that we're going to be before we can ever take our 50 feet before we can ever do what the disciples did, which I'm going to get into in a minute, before we can ever do that, we have to know that in our own self that there is nothing lame in me. 
There's nothing that I'm leaving unchecked by God, nothing I'm leaving unchecked by the Holy Spirit, nothing I'm leaving that I'm desiring less of what God has for me. So right now, before I even go on, if you are sitting here today and you come into this house week after week with areas of your life that you've allowed to be lame in the presence of God and you've refused to touch, you've refused to allow him to touch them, you have refused to allow Mark and I to pray for you, you've refused to allow the goodness of God just to overtake and overwhelm you, I want you to stand to your feet just right now where you are. If there are any areas in your life that that just keep you hindered, keep you from moving freely, like you need to move in the things of God, whether it's your finances, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your emotions, whatever it would be, relationships, mindsets, Maybe it's ministry dreams that you've got that you just, eh, God really doesn't want, eh, God really doesn't want. You're limiting him in those things. Any area in your life that you're limiting him. All right, I want you to lay hands on yourself. I'm going to pray, but I want you to speak to yourself when I'm praying, and I want you to stir yourself, and I want you to change. I want you to have a mind shift today. I want you to say enough is enough, no more, that I will not be a person who settles for less than everything that God has for me. God says that you are a way maker, that you are a world changer. He says that you're an overcomer, that you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're a leader and not a follower. You're covered by the blood of Jesus from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. No weapon formed against you. You shall prosper. The Bible says that everything that the Lord has for you, everything, everything for life and godliness belongs to you because of Jesus Christ belongs to you because of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, that you give divine impartation to those who are standing today. God, that you would give them a divine word from you this morning. I thank you that they would draw a line in the sand, that they would refuse to become what the enemy would want to label them with. God, that they would refuse to become what their minds would scream at them every night that they are, every morning when they wake up. I thank you that instead when they lie their heads on their pillows tonight, that they sleep in perfect peace, that they hear your voice, that you give them dreams that are big, Big, God. Dreams that are big. I thank you that there's no lack in them. No lack in them. I thank you that they will not walk out of here with any badge that the enemy has tried to stamp on them, but they walk out a child of God 100% victorious, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just give the Lord just a hand clap of praise for that. If we're going to minister to them, we've got to have it. We got to have some realness, right? The Bible says that that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The scripture in Acts goes on at the end that that when the guy was healed, Peter saw an opportunity. He saw an opportunity to begin to preach Jesus to the crowds. And when people see you as a healed, whole person, then that is going to motivate them towards Jesus, which is what we want to do when it comes to owning our 50 feet. All right, we will be real quick. This whole new format kind of thing, I'm, I'm trying to watch and see how we're going to wrap up, um, how we're going to end. So I think we've got a few more minutes. Turn to Luke 9. Luke 9. So we're going to, we talked about ourselves being lame um, we're going to talk about how to keep, keep our ministry 
from being lame. So Peter and John are, are walking along to the temple. They're going to pray, and they see, they see this, this guy laying out here. Now, I'm wondering, I don't know. I don't know how many times they had seen him. I don't know what was different about this day, um, but I'm glad that, that this day happened. Um, something in them shifted when they looked at him. And so we're going to take a minute and we're going to look at ministry and the ministry that we've been called to when it comes to our 50 feet. So Luke 9. And we'll be relating this to the book of Acts. But Luke 9 says, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. We're not going to go there right now, but you can write or mark down Matthew 28 and Mark 16. Lest you know it, you also have been called. You also have been called. And the same power and authority that he gave the disciples right here in these verses, he also has given to you. So he has called you and he has given you that authority. He said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money, and don't have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. These disciples were called, they were given power and authority, and then they heeded what it was God had told them to do. This whole process of being called, being sent with power, and heeding where he takes you is a complete removal and denial of self. Sometimes I think that the reason ministry doesn't flourish the way that it flourished for, for Peter and John that day and even for the disciples on this day as we're going to hear um, is because most of our relationship with God centers around us. It, it centers around what we can conjecture, what we can come up with, what, what visions we can have for our life, what we aspire to do, what we call ourselves to. Do you know you don't call yourself? Do you know your gifts and your talents do, are not your, your calling? That, that is not, the Bible says that he called them. He called them. They didn't assign themselves where they were going to do. He called them. He gave them authority and power. It wasn't their gift. It wasn't their talent. It wasn't their money. It wasn't their resource. It wasn't everything that they knew how to do, everything they had rehearsed, everything they had practiced, everything that they had studied, everything they went to college for, everything their father trained them to do. It wasn't all of those things. It was an impartation of Jesus Christ that, that he he infused on the inside of them that he knew would be beneficial in wherever it was that he was sending them and whatever he was sending them to do. And if you don't get these three things right about calling, power, authority, and being sent, then I'm not sure how effective your 50 feet are going to be because you're going to be calling yourself into people's business that God has never, ever, ever spoken to you to go and do and impart yourself into. You're going to be trying to fix people with your own strength, your own ideas. Do you know everything that you think about everybody in their life that you want to fix may or may not be God. It just may or may not. Somebody might not, they might not act like you. They might not parent like you. They may not take care of their finances like you. They might not take care of their dog like you. If God hasn't sent you 
and enabled you and told you to do it, then your best bet is to let everybody be everybody. So, and let me tell you something. You're not going to know he called you if you can't hear his voice. You have to be able to hear him. You have to remove yourself from the equation. You have to be able to hear him, and you have to go where he says to go. The Bible says that, that they did this. Now, I've done it on my own before, um, and it wasn't so pleasant. Mark and I called ourselves away from our job in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and moved to Oklahoma City to help a guy start a church. And it was a, a self-motivated calling. Mark and this guy were buddies. We didn't quite job with what was going on at the church where we were. We thought the pastor was a little controlling, a little manipulating in our young 20-year-old mind. And so we're like, mm, I think we're out of here. So Mark went and talked to, the, to our pastor and said, hey, I'm going to go help so-and-so start a church. And and our pastor said, mm, don't quite feel great about that. And I'm like, well, that, yeah, okay. But we went. So we went. I'm seven months pregnant. We're driving two hours one way and then two hours back after Sunday. We're spending the night in a home with devil children. Like I had not had children yet, but they were literally devil children. So I'm sleeping on a waterbed, seven, eight, nine months pregnant, on a waterbed with devil child every night we would wake up the weekends that we were there and all of a sudden you know you just sense a presence devil child would just be staring at us <laughs> over our bed mark would go to the bathroom for his alone time and devil child's fingers would be under the door hey mr mark what you doing in there mr mark He's trying to be alone. Devil child. It was horrible. The youth pastor who we were working with had such power um, from some kunju something, jitsu, whatever. I have no idea what. That he would sit at night and tell us stories of how he could just extend energy from the walls and he could feel our aura and our vibes. And, and he lined up one time and let an NFL football team kick him. Yeah, why he just stood there like this because he could just control everything. I'm like, Mark, this is so weird. Like, <laughs> it was bad. It was really bad. So, um, we, we had Olivia, and about a month later, we went back to our pastor and repented. We're like, we are so sorry. Like, we totally screwed up. We, we, we tried to do something our own. Same thing happened in Sylvania. You all don't know the beginning of Mark and I's crash, but the beginning of our crash started two or three years before when God had told us, leave Scriven County. It's time for you to leave Scriven County. No, no, I can't leave Scriven County. These people need us. Like, what will this church do if we're not here? I mean, we built it. We told them that we would have flags of all the nations up and down the highway. We don't have that yet. We can't go. God, that can't be you. It can't be you. So you know what we did? We began to finagle. That, that's what you do when you do things of your own self and your own voice. You begin to finagle and you begin to work a plan and you begin to figure it out. And you put holy all over it. Oh, gosh, God gave us another church. Let's go pastor that one too. Must be God. So now we've got two churches that we're pastoring. Oh, isn't this great? Now Mark and I never are in church together. He's doing one service. I'm doing another. I'm closing out one service, packing my kids in a car, driving real fast to another service. We're pastoring in two locations during the week, splitting all of our time together and it was just a huge downward spiral because of self because of self you cannot minister out of self 
you'll never be able to affect your 50 feet. I love what it says that they did after they went out and they, they worked some miracles and they healed some people. The Bible says that in verse 6, well, no, go to verse, um, verse 10. The apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. I love the fact that this story tells us that they gave an account for their ministry, for their life, for their 50 feet, whatever we want to call it. They gave an account to the Lord. We don't talk about it very much anymore, but when I was growing up, when I was growing up and my mom and daddy were late, like if they went out to eat dinner with somebody or they went over to a friend's house and it got later and later and later and later, I was the kid sitting at home weeping because I'm thinking, I've missed it. I've missed the rapture like my parents are gone and I'm home and I've been left behind. So remember all the songs about being left behind and the movies about being left behind? I mean, they're tormenting. I mean, like lots of stuff is going on. Like people are dying. Monsters are coming out of the sea and attacking you. Bloodbaths are everywhere. So I'm just weeping, thinking I've missed it. Do you know there is coming a day when we will give an account and it is coming sooner than we think. So we don't talk about it every Sunday. You don't hear it proclaimed on the radio anymore. It's not, you know, 99 reasons he's coming back in 1999. It's already over. So, um, but he is coming back. And there will be a day that I will have to stand before him and give an account for my 50 feet. And my 50 feet are my husband, my children, you all, and whatever else he's called me to do. And sometimes we, we need to stop and, and take a minute and think, am I owning this very well? Am I owning this well? Because one day I'm going to have to sit down and tell him all about it. And I don't know about you. I don't know what you want to hear. I don't know what you want that conversation to look like when it's you and him. But the only thing I want to hear is well done. Well done. You did exactly what I told you to do. Exactly. You, you handled your marriage exactly how I told you to handle it. You raised your children exactly how I told you to do. All I want to hear is well done. And we can fish around this planet year after year after year after year looking and hunting and fishing for all these accolades and all this stuff that makes us feel good about our stuff. I don't know about you, but I don't think any of that's going to hold up that day that we're standing face to face with our king, face to face. And he's asking us, what did you do? What did you do with what I handed you, with what I gave you? We, we have to know that that day is coming. They gave an account. The Bible goes on to talk about um, the fact, if you look at this story, we're not, we don't have time to look at it because I'm talking lots, but um, y'all can keep up even though I'm talking fast. So Mark 6, the, the Bible talks about this passage as well. And when the apostles told him everything that they had done, the Bible actually says in, in that passage that they were exhausted and they were tired and they had not eaten. Have you, have you all ever ministered so much that you skipped food? Nah. Yeah. So they were exhausted. They were tired. And they had not eaten. Like they had, they had expended every bit of themselves. Every bit of themselves was expended. And so Jesus said, he, he began to call them to himself. He said, well, come, come away with me. Let's get in this boat. Let, let's go over here to this side. Intimacy is incredibly, incredibly important with our Father when we're ministering. It's incredibly important. So important. We, we talked about intimacy a little bit um, at my women's conference. Um, for me, uh, 
the, the two most intimate things in my life have been nursing and then sex. And we're not going to talk about sex this morning, so take a deep breath. Like, you can be glad that we're not. We could do that, though, in a marriage conference or one moment that you're prepared, but we're not going to talk about intimate sex today. Um, but nursing. Do you know with nursing, and I know some of you are guys, you're okay. You, you've, you've seen mother's nurse, and you know how nursing works. But nursing, one of the most intimate things that you can do with your life. Do you know it requires time? Like it requires time. You can't nurse your baby and not spend time with your baby. It requires a place. It requires a place. Like you, sometimes you even have to pull away. You have to pull away by yourself. Sometimes you find yourself in bathroom stalls alone. Sometimes you find yourself in cars alone. While everybody else is just going about their day going about their business, doing what they do. They're eating dinner, they're socializing, and you're like, whoops, I'll be back. And you have to go take that baby, and you, and you have to nurse, and you have to be alone with it. Do you know no one else can nurse your baby for you? Nobody else. Not one person. It's inconvenient. It's just inconvenient. There were months that I just felt like a cow, probably a decade, actually. <laughs> you just feel like a cow. I've heard, I'm like, where are my 20s and 30s? Like, I don't know. Where I, 25 to 35, gone. So they're just gone. Just nursing. It wasn't even always my idea. Intimacy with the Father. Sometimes he's yearning for you. He's pulling at you. He's pulling at your heart. And I'm not so sure that we give him the time that he deserves or the moment that he deserves or the space that he deserves or the pulling away from, from culture and from the crowd that he deserves. It's more than a Sunday morning. It's more, I'm going to tell you something, it's more than a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, five minutes a day. It, intimacy, it's where his voice, it's where he can just whisper your name and you hear him calling you. He just whispers your name and you hear him calling you. So we, we have to have these times of intimacy. What's amazing to me, and we'll wrap up. So, Michael, you can go ahead and come up. Um, we will wrap up. What, what's amazing to me in the, the rest of this story is that in the middle of this time of intimacy where Jesus had called them to be refreshed and he had called them to begin to pour into them, in the middle of that, the Bible says that a multitude began to follow them. The disciples are thinking one thing, and the Bible says Jesus is receiving a multitude. A multitude is coming their way. And I'm wondering, when we look at this story, and we've all heard it, we've all read it before, where, where all the disciples have are the loaves and the fish um, that Jesus is about to multiply and, and feed to them. I wonder if this story isn't much more about what the disciples felt and what they were going through versus what was going on with the miracle of the feeding because to me, I'm looking at, God, I just want to be with you. I, I just want you to continue to refresh me. I want you to fill me. I want you to, to do all these things in me and, and for me and make me feel good. And all of a sudden, you have brought a multitude in front of me, and you're demanding that I do something with it. You're demanding that I do something. And if you go read this story, the Bible says Jesus received the multitude, and the disciples are like, you need to send them away. You need to send them away. You need to send them somewhere else because we, we don't have anything that it would take to take care of them. We can't handle this. And if you don't want to send us away because the Bible says Jesus went on and said that um, 
that they could, they could say, and the, the disciples were to feed them, and they said, oh, okay, so you want us to go away then. You want us to go to the store, basically, and, and get some things to feed them. And when things come into our life, I wonder if we don't treat them the same way. God is trying to stretch us and move us and, and, and demonstrate in us a power that we don't even know exists. The disciples had already been ministering. They were already exhausted. They already, in their minds, had depleted every bit of energy that they thought that they had. In their minds, there is absolutely nothing I can do with this multitude. And Jesus, in the middle of intimacy, in the middle of them coming away with him, and in the middle of, of him being proud of the report that they gave, is trying to show them there is so much more inside you. And if you'll just stay in tune with me, this is about to happen. There are tons of things, of gifts, of callings that you haven't even tapped into yet. Just because you're exhausted, just because you're tired, just because you want to throw in the towel, just because you don't like this thing, this challenge that's in front of you that you're having to face doesn't mean that God is not using it to orchestrate something bigger and better in your life, to orchestrate a faith for you that you didn't even know existed, to orchestrate power for you. And they're begging for it to go away. I wonder if that's how Moses felt. I'm sure it is when he stood in front of the Red Sea. He's like, you've called me. I'm taking these people. And now here you have me in front of the sea. What the heck? What am I supposed to do with this? I wonder if it's not how David felt. I wonder if it's not how Joshua felt. We all want this mountain. We all want this big mystery in our life that we have to overcome. We want this giant faith story. And when we're presented with it, we want to run away from it. Right. We don't want to embrace it because we don't believe that there's anything on the inside of us. That there's anything on the inside of us that's big enough to overcome. We've got to know that there is. We have to know. The Bible says they gave him, Jesus, everything that they had. That's how your 50 feet are going to work. They may be people that you're irritated with, people you don't like, people that you're thinking, just, just get them away from me, people or things that you wish that you could run from. And Jesus the whole time is saying, if you'll just give me everything of, of who you are, absolutely every bit of it, if you'll give it to me, you're going to see a miracle. You'll see lives change, situations move, and you will see my hand at work in such a great way. The Bible says at the end of the story that not only was there enough for the crowd, but there were leftovers for the disciples. Sometimes I think the reason we feel lack is because we're takers and we're not givers. We just want us and Jesus, we want to take, 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 take. And then we come to church with dry wells, empty wells, worn out, feeling empty. And all the time he's just saying, give. If you'll just give it to me. If you will give it to me, we'll be able to make a difference. And if we take this story all the way back to the story in Acts, the Bible says at the end of the day, souls got saved. Souls got saved. People were rejoicing. The lame man was not lame anymore. People were walking and jumping and praising God. And crowds, the Bible says, crowds began to repent of their sins and they got saved. When, when the hand of God moves, miracles happen. And when those miracles happen, society and culture begins to change. So if we're going to take it out of these doors today, one, we have to let go of all those lame areas we talked about, and two, we have to learn how to minister effectively with the power and the grace and the gifts that God has given us. Amen.
Amen. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 